0: I've been thinking about this lately This is what I suppose Welcome to the teaching ministry of Calvary Chapel, South London You can visit us at calvarychapelsouthlondon.org I realize So I'm on my knees for understanding The more the world I see, the more I see Leave her off in it, but I'm no diamond ring I got a lot to learn, so I'm listening so we're back, back into kingdom values. Um, our last episode in kingdom values had me begin um, considerations with regards to treasure, speaking about money. And again, I welcome anyone who's visiting with us today, and we will be speaking about money. And don't get nervous. God doesn't need your money, and so this isn't, uh, you know, a a, a primer for us to hold another offering at the end of the service and try and get into your wallets. No, it's not that. Um, As individuals, money is a constant and necessary facet of our lives, and it's important that we have God's perspective and God's view on money that we're able to say something more than just money is the root of all evil, but actually having a biblical perspective, a biblical worldview with regards to how we view and use money. And fundamental to that, as we continue today, is us appreciating that, you know what? We are stewards of what God has given us. And so as we have gone through this Kingdom Value series, it's looking at our lives on the basis that God has entrusted to us life and all that it contains. What are we doing with it for his glory? Not just the aspects of it, you know, so God's given us time, but it's not just Sundays. God's given us talents, but it's not just preaching or not just the singing that we do. And God has given us money. And so how do we honor him with our money? And so we appreciate that. You know what? Jesus is Lord of all. Or he is not Lord at all. Jesus is Lord of all. Or he is not Lord at all. And so when it comes to our money... It is the way our attitude to our money is a direct reflection of our attitude toward God. If we get nervous about our money and, oh, well, my money's being considered for for God and for his use and, uh, you know, the the work of the kingdom and mm, I feel a bit cagey about that, then actually that is very much a reflection of our attitude with regards to our life. Because someone who's truly submitted to Jesus as Lord recognizes that they and everything we have is God's. The Lord says that we are to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. God does not fundamentally exist to serve our self satisfying material blessings. That is not the purpose and reason for God's existence. God does not fundamentally exist just to make us happy, which is what people seem to want from life, right? Thank you, bro. I just want to be happy, have a good life. No, actually, we exist for God. And as we saw in our first catechism today, the purpose of man is what? (laughs) we've had it twice today already. See, We do it for a reason, to glorify God primarily and to enjoy him forever. And there is great delight and joy to be had in seeking to glorify God. Jesus said this, he said, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth. Do not lay up treasures for yourselves on earth. Don't do it. But rather, he says, that we are to lay up for ourselves treasures in heaven. Now you might think to yourself, I don't lay up treasures on earth. I mean, I pay my bills, I use what I've got, and I get through life. So that don't really apply to me. I haven't got no masses of money in my savings account. I don't have loads of properties and assets and investments. So that doesn't really apply to me, does it, right? Laying up treasure on earth? Well, I would suggest that it does still apply to you, dependent on how we use our money, even on a day-to-day basis. There are often times when we're using our money for things that we don't need to be using our money for. And in doing so, that money that could have been used to invest in heavenly treasures is being squandered and wasted on earthly pleasures. So it's not just talking about how much you got stacked, how much pee you got, in your account. It's actually challenging the very decisions we make on a day-to-day basis. And so we're going to be looking at a few scriptures as to considering how is it we can lay up treasures in heaven? How is it we can go about actually practically making that foreign currency exchange. We can't take it with us. So how do we get it up there? Well, that's what we're going to be considering. So let's pray as we prepare to jump into the word of God. Dear Lord, we do thank you for your faithfulness to us, for your lavish goodness towards us. Lord, we we appreciate that actually we're here, Lord, and even by reason of being here and clothed, Lord, you've provided for us. And there are so many things in our lives that we would reckon that we need and that we don't have, and yet, when we look at the big picture, when we look at the grand scheme of things, we're actually abundantly blessed. And so, Lord, my prayer is today that you would meet with us and have a conversation with us about our lives, about our hearts, and about our money. I pray, Lord, that we would be equally open and submitted to what you would have to say to us about these things in the way that we would when you speak to us about faith and when you speak to us about Prayer, when you speak to us about blessings, and when you speak to us about other aspects of our life and walk with you. So please, Lord, do have your way in our hearts today in order that you would truly be glorified, that you would take pleasure in our lives, that you would be honored, that Jesus Christ, the glorious God of our gospel, would be exalted. Above all, have your way, Lord, we pray right now. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. I used to play basketball um, often when I was younger. And for anyone who plays basketball, you will know that there's a shot in basketball called a layup. And I used to play, there was a point when I was playing probably two or three times a week. And um, the layup was a shot that, for some reason, although one of the simplest of shots, I always seem to have a problem with. And the layup is one of them shots that, you know, it's, it's, for those who don't know, it's, it's you know, you kind of go along with the ball, and then you just scoop your hand under the ball and then flick it up, and it just rolls into the basket, or maybe you do it off the backboard. And when it's done well, and it, it just looks effortless and easy and stylish but I just couldn't get my basketball swagger on. And I would have problems making layups, basic, the most basic of shots. And so my desire today is to help us avoid having a problem with our spiritual layup, our laying up treasure in heaven. And so, how do we Lay up treasures in heaven. How do we do that? Well, I can give you the primary answer in one word Giving. Last time we got together, we spent time in Matthew 6. And it was there that we considered the fact that we are to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all other things will be added to us. We were challenged in verse 24 that we cannot serve two masters. We cannot serve God and mammon. Can't be done. You will either be devoted to one and despise the other, or love one and hate the other. And in the same chapter we see, in the early verses, Jesus speak on certain basic disciplines certain basic aspects of the Christian life. He spoke about prayer. He said, when you pray. He spoke about fasting. He said, when you fast. And in verses 2, 3, and 4, Jesus spoke about giving, and he said, when you give. And so it was recognized that giving, as with prayer and fasting, was a normal and regular aspect of the believer's life it was a regular spiritual discipline giving to god was a regular spiritual discipline it was commonly understood to be that at the time <clears throat> and so let us consider giving in that regard. It's a basic discipline, standard procedure. When you give, when you give, so that you're giving. Hmm. See? Giving is something that may be foreign to some of us in terms of a regular and consistent habit, a practice. And yet it is something that is a standard aspect of the spiritual person's life. And one of the things we see in the the biblical view of giving is that it is an expression of worship. It is an expression of worship. no one can serve two masters you cannot serve god and money those things that we give ourselves to serve are actually our idols as we looked at in a few weeks uh, a few weeks back in community group driscoll uses the term functional saviors the things which we look to and put hope in in life to save us. And money is such that for many people, that is the case. Giving is an expression of worship that impacts the heart and guards against Mammon worship. I said God doesn't need your money. God doesn't need anyone's money. God doesn't need anything. He's God. So why does the scripture challenge us to give? It's for our benefit, not for God's. And by giving, our hearts are pruned. The, the, the. The dry, ashy bits are cut away. The other day, um, Judith invested in a very handy item. Primarily for my benefit. Primarily for my benefit. Very, very handy item. And um, let's just say it is is related to um, certain pedicure functions. But not a nail clip, I'm not going to get deep, I mean, no one's sitting there around the dinner table or anything, so it's, if you're watching this and you're sitting at the dinner table, maybe you want to just kind of push it through the side for a minute. But not a nail, toenail clip, but it was, um, this item, I don't even, I can't even remember what it's called, no, it's not foot spa, no, 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 I've got, I've got foot spa, but that don't help me like this thing helps me, trust me. So it's said, "Pommestone." stone. Right. it's a new school stone. It's this battery-powered item that's a bit like a shaver. No, no. Furthermore, it's not even like a shaver. It's, it's, a, it's a, um, it's got a, it's got a piece. It's got, a, it's got this wheel on it, right? And it's, and it's, it's like granite. Um, it's, no, granite's smooth, right? Now this is not smooth. That wouldn't help me. That wouldn't help me. It's like a motorized file. Thank you. <laughs> the stone is coarse and it's got a couple different stones for different settings and the idea is that it just like gets rid of the dry skin, the ashy parts of the foot <laughs> and um, so you notice I said it was primarily for my benefit right because my feet have been historically quite coarse <laughs> I've got, I got a witness at the back you see i got working man's feet working man's feet yeah anyway but what it does is I mean after the first use Judith was feeling my foot Chloe was feeling my foot it feels so smooth Oh, I was feeling my foot oh what a transformation and I could feel my foot in a way that I had never felt before when I, when I put on my shoes, when I put on my shoes and I, and I stepped, my foot felt tender, <laughs> like a new level of sensitivity was there. <laughs> and the reality is that giving is like that motorized pumice stone that gets away the dry and ashy bits of our heart as we relate to God. Some of you gonna ask me for the name of that thing, innit, afterwards. <laughs> it's alright. I try to remember. See, the reality is that we serve money or money serves us. Would you say that's the case? We serve money or money serves us. Which way is it to be? Money's to serve us, right? We're not supposed to be serving money. Well, it may shock you for me to say that, you know what, neither of those things are to be the case. Okay, so we're not supposed to serve money, but money isn't supposed to serve us. You're thinking, what? You see, we serve money our money serves God and immediately you look at that statement and you feel that there's a big difference our money as children of God is not supposed to serve us because we are not our own we are merely stewards of that which God has granted us and so all of us and all of our lives is supposed to be rendered to God in his service. So it's not just that we're not supposed to serve money. Money is not supposed to serve us. Money is to serve God. Money is from God and for God. So, how does God say money is to serve him? How does God say Money is to serve him. Turn with me to Galatians chapter 6, if you will. Here we'll see some principles that is repeated numerous times in Scripture in different ways with regards to how God says our money is to serve him. Galatians chapter 6, verses 6 to 10. One who is taught the word must share all good things with the one who teaches. Do not be deceived, God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the spirit will from the spirit reap eternal life. And let us not grow weary of doing good. For in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. Now, in these verses, some of which are familiar to us, right? We often hear the phrase, oh, you reap what you sow. Yeah, I mean, it says it right here. God is not mocked, verse 7. Whatever one sows, that will he also reap. We're familiar with that, but think about the context. Because we don't often consider that statement in relation to its context. Verse 6 says, one who is taught the word must share all good things with the one who teaches must share. Not should share, could share, sometimes if you feel like it, share. But it says that we must share. Those of us who have ministered the truth of God must share with those who minister that truth to us. And this isn't a, a kind of gun to the head, give me your money, type statement. The word share in that verse is the word koinonia. Is anyone familiar with the use of that word in other ways in the New Testament? Koinonia, you want to shout out? Fellowship. fellowship. As a Greek word, it's translated most often in the New Testament, fellowship. Fellowship. And again, that is the sense of what's being communicated right here. That there is a fellowship that takes place as the one who teaches ministers to the one who is taught. And the one who is taught is to likewise reciprocate that fellowship in sharing, practically giving to the one who teaches. And then that reveals another dimension of real fellowship. Amen. Amen. Real fellowship. You see, as Christians, I found that because salvation is free, we expect everything else to be so. And we kind of develop this attitude of entitlement, well, I'm saved by grace, not by works. salvation was free Christ paid it all on the cross it's finished how much is that book? oh man why is it that we have to pay for books anyway? how much is that CD? why is it we have to pay for music anyway? and we expect everything to be free because salvation is so what we're saying is we're quite happy to allow people to minister to us consistently and just take it just receive it but not engage and share in fellowship with them. That's not fellowship. Fellowship is an exchange of life, sharing things in common. And so in these verses, we see two key principles shown. we see that there's two types of giving communicated in these verses, and this is mirrored throughout the New Testament in various ways. It's restated in different ways. There's giving in the sense of core giving, giving to core needs, and then there's also giving in terms of according to compassion, Every organization has core needs. And for those who have been involved in fundraising in any capacity, you will be familiar with the fact that generally in fundraising, and this is sort of charitable, social endeavors, people will give according to one aspect of your needs or another, according to your core needs, which is least common, and more common is given to your project costs, your running costs, your activity costs. Core needs. They would say, okay, that's staff and premises primarily. Everything else is considered as project or activity costs. Delivery related costs. And in some senses, we see this being these principles right here in the text of Scripture. So in verse 6, we see the reference to core needs. One who is taught the word must share. Must share all good things with the one who teaches. Now, The one who teaches fundamentally needs to be able to be resourced to do so. That's a a core need. But then in verse 10, we see a reflection of that which is compassionate giving. So, let us do good to everyone as we have opportunity. So again, this is a different type of giving that's being communicated. And for the rest of the um, message, I'll concentrate and focus on core. We'll talk um, in our final week next, next week about compassionate giving and what else, what else can we do to glorify God with our money? So, The Apostle Paul, speaking to the Galatians, as with many other of the churches and also the young leaders that he had um, established, communicates here a sense of the responsibility that we have as recipients of God's word. A responsibility which is an age-old responsibility communicated from Back into the Old Testament. We see a precept in verse 6. We see a principle in verse 7. Don't be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. That's a principle. And we take that principle and we apply it to different contexts because it is a fundamental kingdom principle. You reap what you sow. So the application of it isn't just to money. But then also we see a promise in verse nine. Don't grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. And these three things underlie, the, underline the responsibility that we have as Christians. We see that responsibility communicated numerous times in other scriptures first Timothy five seventeen to eighteen. Let the elders who, who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. For the scripture says you shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain. And the laborer deserves his wages. In second Timothy two. 6 and 7, Paul says to Timothy, it is the hard-working farmer who ought to have the first share of the crops. Think over what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. We continue to see this responsibility communicated in, again, numerous other verses. 1 Thessalonians 5, 12 and 13. 1 Timothy 5, 17 and 18. 2 Timothy 2, 6 and and seven. Now, again, it might feel a bit uncomfortable. It might seem like I'm laboring this point about the responsibility to give to the work of God, to give to the local ministry. As uncomfortable as it might seem, and to be honest, I'll be honest with you, completely honest, I don't feel uncomfortable talking about this because, like I said before, We've, always, we've already had to repent of the fact that we haven't spoken about this. The fact that for years, probably um, the last time we spoke about money in any respect was two years ago, and it was like this series in one sermon. So there was no laboring on money at all. And that incident two years ago, psh, who knows how long before that we had spoken last on money. And yet this is a fundamental aspect of what we see in scripture. And the irony is this. As we continue, you will note that I'm going to commit ministerial suicide. And I'm going I'm to make some statements That I'm not really supposed to make as a minister. If I'm genuinely trying to coin it in. If I'm trying to rake in your cash. There's certain statements that I'm going to make that I shouldn't be making. It's just like I'm cutting my own throat. Well, let me say that I'm going to cut my own throat. And the brothers, Pastor P, Pastor Rob, have gladly agreed to help me do it. So consider that for some perspective. In 1 Timothy 5, 17, 18, let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. For the scripture says you shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain, and the laborer deserves his wages. The term honor meant Money. In first Timothy five three, the term is used again when it talks about giving money to widows, supporting widows. And so it's not just talking about pats on the back and we really love you, you know. But it's talking about giving money. And it says the scripture says you shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain. So you have this picture of an ox, a beast of burden. That's what it was known as in the Old Testament. And it will be there with a, a, a rod and a, attached to a millstone, and it will just be walking around in circles, treading out the grain. And as it's doing so, in order to enable it and to resource it, it's eating as it goes. And so the scripture says, don't muzzle the ox as he treads out the grain. You're cutting off your nose to spite your face. You want the ox to do the job, he needs to be enabled, he needs to be resourced. And so this is what Paul communicated to Timothy. Now turn with me, if you will, to 1 Corinthians 9, as we look at verses 1 to 14. Because we see an interesting course of events here. We see the Apostle Paul yet again talking about the fact that he has rights as an Apostle. He has rights as an Apostle, and yet he makes a certain response to those rights. In verse 1, am I not free? Am I not an Apostle? Have I not seen Jesus our Lord? Are not you my workmanship in the Lord? If to others I am not an Apostle, at least I am to you. For you are the seal of my apostleship in the Lord. This is my defense to those who would examine me. Do we not have the right to eat and drink? Do we not have the right to take along a believing wife, as do other apostles and the brothers of the Lord and Cephas? Or is it only Barnabas and I who have no right to refrain from working for a living, to stop from working for a living, Who serves as a soldier at his own expense? Who plants a vineyard without eating any of its fruits? Or who tends a flock without getting some of the milk? Do I say these things on human authority? Does not the law say the same? For it is written in the law of Moses, you shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain. That phrase again. Is it for oxen that God is concerned? Is he worried about these beasts? Does he not speak entirely for our sake? It was written for our sake. Because the plowman should plow in hope. And the thresher thresh in hope of sharing in the crop. If we have sown spiritual things among you, is it too much? If we reap material things from you, if others share this rightful claim on you, do not we even more? So the apostle Paul goes in. I've got the right to ex- expect some dough from you. I've got the right to get paid. Or do or, or what am I the only one who's not who has to keep working? Paul goes in, takes the gloves off. What man can't eat out uh, here? Hmm. And yet, what does he go on to say? Verse 12. Nevertheless, we have not made use of this right, but we endure anything rather than put on an obstacle in the way of the gospel of Christ. <laughs> we have not made use of this right, but rather endure anything. If it means that we don't eat, if it means that we don't drink, if it, you know what? If it means we have to work 24 hours in a day, you know what? We would rather endure that than present a hindrance or an obstacle to the furtherance of the gospel. And so Paul said, I have this right and it is legitimately your responsibility. But I forgo the right. I've forsaken that right. I've left that to the side. I haven't exercised my right to demand of you, to expect of you. And you see, when we as Three pastors started out in ministry, Calvary Chapel, South London. We came from a background which was very prosperity gospel. We came from a background where we were used to being rinsed, fleeced, flossed. We were flossed. It's not even just that the minister was flossing, he was flossing us. It was our money. I remember one time I was in a, in a service and I, I felt so compelled. I, was, I felt so like, I wouldn't even say manipulated, I, I, but it could well have been. I felt so compelled. I took my watch off, put it in the offering basket. I didn't have nothing else to give. We were used to that. We came from that environment. We came from that background and we know that it's very prevalent in this day and age and at the same time we recognize that it's an abuse of the gospel and so one of the things that we committed was that we're not gonna, we ain't gonna bang no drums about money and that was one of the things we encountered when we first came to Calvary Chapel because we came and we was waiting for the free offerings. We was waiting, we came, sat down. It was like, there wasn't one it was like, and I remember going up to Pastor Brian at the end of the service and I was like, so um, like, what happened to, to offering? And I wasn't inquiring because I wanted to put money in the offering. I was like, what's going on here? I'm expecting that, you know? the band's going to start a hyping and there's going to be free offerings and, and it's like, oh yeah, there's, well, there's a box at the back there if you want to um, give. Some. I was like, what? To myself. Remember that, Chabelle? I was like, what? There's a box at the back. You man ain't serious. <laughs> but I realized, actually, very serious. And so, like the Apostle Paul, we've said, you know what? rather than there be a hindrance to the gospel, we're not going to beat no drums over offering. We're not going to beat people up. We're not going to manipulate and entice people because you will be blessed a hundredfold. It will be given back unto you, pressed down, shaken together, running over. (laughs) And so we begin to hype your flesh. Come with that sanctified materialism. Give and you will get. And it's funny because we will go church and we will hear that and forget what we were told when we were growing up. You know them times when you would give a gift to a friend and then it's your birthday and you don't get one. And you go home and complain to your mum, boy, you know Ricky's bad man, you know. Because I get, you know when it was his birthday, I gave him that, that, that crispy that DC comic that was that, that rare edition, hard to get. And he never gave me anything. <laughs> well, son, you don't give to receive. Isn't that what we're taught when we're growing up? You don't give to get. But as soon as we come to church, it's legitimized. Mm, running over. <laughs> Press down, shaken together. That's an abuse of scripture. Because all I'm doing is seeking to line my pockets by your greed. And so we said, Look, you know what? We're just going to keep it simple and trust that the Lord will provide. And this is what we see that Paul done. In verse 13, he says, do you not know that those who are employed in the temple service get their food from the temple and those who serve at the altar share in the sacrificial offerings? In the same way, the Lord commanded that those who proclaim the gospel should get their living by the gospel. So that's the standard. And he's, he's, he's lining up the text and he's saying, look, This is how it's always worked, and this is how it continues to work. But in verse 15, I have made no use of these rights. So as an exception to the rule, for the sake of the gospel, and for the sake of sinners, and for the sake of my own soul, we see in the final verses of the chapter, for the sake of his own soul, he said, you know what, I don't want to run this race and get disqualified. He had this image of the, the Greek Olympics where only Greek citizens could be, could take part in the Olympics. So it wasn't that, it was a case of, um, well put it this way, because people look at these verses, verses 24 to 27 and think Paul was talking about losing his salvation. Now he was already a citizen of the heavenly kingdom in the same way that a Greek Olympian was already a citizen of the Greek nation. But he was talking about losing his reward. And as part of the process of preparing for the Greek games, the, the, the Greek Olympians had to compete according to the rules. This is what Paul's talking about. And they had rules for competition, but they also had rules for training. And if an Olympian broke the rules in training, they wouldn't even compete, let alone be able to get a reward, get their prize at the end of it. And so he said, look, I don't want to lose my reward. He says, you know that in a race, all the runners compete in verse 24, but only one receives the prize. So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we are imperishable. So I do not run aimlessly. I make these decisions, but I don't do it aimlessly. I do not box as one, merely shadow boxing. No. I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. Paul was running to win and he didn't even want the whole issue of money polluting his own heart so that he would, as Jesus said of the scribes and Pharisees, they have their reward now. Paul was looking for his heavenly reward. Not merely earthly satisfaction. And so this is how we have given our heart to pursue ministry and yet, the thing is, Paul was making it absolutely clear that that does not negate the responsibility of us as God's people to support the work of God. <clears throat> so there's responsibility. Other verses you can look at in relation to that. First Thessalonians 2, 5 and 6. And also Second Thessalonians 3, 6. To 15. Now, because Paul chose to give up the right, does that mean that every minister should? Does that mean no minister should ever expect to get paid? To be remunerated, or furthermore, should I say, be resourced to do the work of the ministry? Of course not. Paul was making very clearly an exception to the rule. And as in situations such as ours, we've recognized the need to not go down that road and have to lay any emphasis on that. Because we know that in today's climate and today's culture and today's quote-unquote Christian television, it becomes a stumbling block. But on the other hand, what we haven't done is communicated the sense that we all have a responsibility to the fervorance of the gospel. So, if there is a responsibility, how much, hmm, Lord of mercy, how much should we be considering? How much does God stipulate that we ought to give if we have this responsibility? Hmm. Well, Some, at this point, would introduce the word tithing, tithes, or as I used to hear it growing up, tides, (laughs) t-i-d-e-s, tides. Are we obligated to tithe? Are we required to tithe? Because there are those who would say that we are. And for those who are unfamiliar with the term, it basically talks about the principle of God's people paying a tenth of their income, 10% of their income to the priest. Well, a quick survey, a quick overview of the history of tithing. And what's really important is when we begin to consider issues like this that have, that feature in both the Old and New Testament that we handle it properly. This is one of those areas in which, actually, you know what? The word can be wrongly divided. I mean, the word can always be wrongly divided, but the word must be rightly divided. And when you're dealing with Old Testament, New Testament principles especially, you have to divide the word rightly. Otherwise, we can then begin to impose on things, impose things on people that are actually an Old Testament principle, and it can be problematic. So we see in Genesis 14 that Abraham gave 10% of the spoils of war to a king called Melchizedek. And this king just appeared out of nowhere and they don't even know where he went. The testimony of Hebrews is that he had no beginning or end of days. The name Melchizedek means king of righteousness. He was the king of Salem. Shalom, peace. And so Abraham gave. Now remember, he gave it voluntarily. There was no law at the time of Abraham. So we recognize what error or what some might call epoch, if we're going to deal with this according to correct biblical theology, what season of time, what period of time was Abraham in? And as you look through scripture, you always have to consider it in that light. Let me give you an example real quick as to a very helpful principle with regards to biblical theology. Every time frame that exists in scripture has accompanying terms and conditions, yeah? So you have a mobile phone contract. Whilst you are in contract, you cannot break contract. If you break contract, the terms and conditions state you have to pay the remainder of the contract or you face a penalty. You are required to pay your monthly, some of you pay as you go, you're, you're sitting there thinking, now I know why I stayed pay as you go you are required to pay your monthly payment. As long as you pay your monthly payment, you are able to freely use your phone. That is during the period of the contract. Those are the terms and conditions. Now, when your contract is fulfilled, whether it's 12, 18, or even these 24-month contracts that they're rolling with now, Headside. side. 24 months, you know. <laughs> Listen, however long your terms, once your period expires, you are free to stop at any time you want. You don't have to continue paying. Why is it that you're now free to do so when before you weren't? Because you're in a different season where there are different terms and conditions that apply. If you want to upgrade your phone, you can. If you want to change network, you can. You have a choice. Some may choose, like I did at one point, to continue paying my monthly payments because it suited me. I wasn't obligated, but I chose to. So, Abraham's in a period of grace, not law. The terms and conditions are, there's no stipulations been made upon him, no obligations put upon him, he's chosen to give. Genesis 28, Jacob offers to pay a tenth if the Lord sought him. Lord, you know them prayers? Lord, if you come through for me, you know what? I just, I will, I will, I will, I will will, will tithe furthermore. (laughs) It was one of them ones. We don't have any record that Jacob actually ever paid that (laughs) tenth. He's a true heel grabbing supplanter, boy. So, anyway. We don't have any record. And then we see Leviticus 27, Numbers 18. God introduced the law. A new era, a new season, a new epoch, new terms and conditions. He introduces the law. You must give a tenth in order to be deemed as righteous, in order to be deemed as accepted amongst God's people. And that tenth goes towards the Levites. And they are to receive that. They are to take that tenth. In Hebrews 7, it says that the Levites took the tithe. That's why we don't take offerings, we receive them. (laughs) And so we see that that was the law. And in Malachi 3, oh gosh. Some of us, have I don't even have to stop. Some of us are familiar with these verses. We have been battered by these verses. Will a man rob God? And you say, how have we robbed God? With your tithes and offerings. Bring the fourth tithe into the storehouse. And we've been battered. Why? Because in verse 9 it says... You are cursed with a curse for you are robbing me. Wow! If I don't pay 10%, I'm cursed. Are you nuts? Oh, Lord, have mercy. And so we're guilt-stricken, we're mortified, and we feel obliged, obligated. And so from a New Testament point of view, is that a right use of Scripture? Three times no. No, no, no. But from a New Testament point of view, there is a yes, sort of, in there. So how is it three times no? Galatians 3. And you might want to look there and mark these verses, very, very important verses. They are the verses that mark... The new terms and conditions that we are now under in the New Testament because of Christ. So we are not under the terms and conditions of the law. The law of Moses. But we are now in Christ and under new terms and conditions. Hence those old terms and conditions not applying to us in Christ. In that way. Verses 10 to 14. For all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. So if we're attempting to pay 10% in order to be accepted by God and not, by cur- and not cursed by Him, then we have to do everything else that the law says. I remember once saying to a brother, oh, bruv, you, 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 you're hard on this, this tithing. You want me to tithe? So you tithe, right? And he was like, yes, you have to tithe or you're cursed. So I was like, bruv, so does that mean you've been circumcised then? Because that obviously, like, it's part of the law, right? Big man, like, that's what you got to do. Brothers ain't trying to embrace that quickly. So unless you're doing all of it, then you're cursed anyway. If that's your standard of righteousness. Verse 11. Now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law. For the righteous shall live by faith. Verse 12. But the law is not of faith. Rather, the one who does them shall live by them. So if you can do all of the law, then you'll be upright and... Justified before God. But no one can. That's why we needed Christ. Verse 13. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law. By becoming a curse for us. So here's the suicide statement. You don't have to pay 10%. You don't have to pay tithes in order not to be cursed by God. Jesus bore your curse. Jesus bore my curse. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who hanged on a tree so that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham, oh gosh, Abraham might come to Gentiles so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. Notice the blessing of Abraham. Abraham gave a tenth to Melchizedek, and Melchizedek blessed him. And we'll see in Hebrews 7 that that was so significant, this random occurrence. But we are in Abraham, and our tenth has already been paid in Abraham. And that blessing that he received from Melchizedek is ours in Abraham through Christ Jesus. Hebrews 7, and in in Hebrews 7, the writer of Hebrews goes in on Melchizedek. And uh, many gospel commentators, scholars, theologians would say that, you know what, straight up and down, the only person that Melchizedek could be is Jesus Christ. That he was a a, 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 a pre-New Testament, a pre-incarnate revelation of Jesus Christ. What's called a theophany or a Christophany. Christ appearing in person before his incarnation. So it says in verse 6 But this man, speaking of Melchizedek, who does not have his descent, from them, speaking of the Levites, received tithes from Abraham and blessed him who had the promises. So Melchizedek received the tithe from Abraham. He received it, he accepted it. And he blessed Abraham. In verse 9 and 10 it says, one might even say that Levi himself, who receives tithes, paid tithes through Abraham. So the law that the, of the Levites receiving the tithes from the people was even fulfilled in that Levi, the high priest, he had to pay tithes, but he done so through Abraham. For he was still in the loins of his ancestor when Melchizedek met him. So we see that Christ has become a curse for us. And not only did Abraham pay tithes on our behalf and we are now recipients of that blessing but furthermore the way in which we have become recipients of that blessing is because Jesus didn't just give a tenth of himself he just he didn't just give a tenth of his life well beat me within 10 percent within 90 percent of my life He didn't just give a. He gave himself entirely for us, satisfying the law of God entirely. And so, therefore, we are no longer obligated with regards to having to legally, in order to avoid a curse, pay 10%. Does that mean that we ought not to pay 10%? Well, consider this. In Hebrews 7, 24, it speaks about the fact that Jesus holds a permanent priesthood, an eternal priesthood, because he continues forever. Melchizedek. Melchizedek as a priest, as a high priest, received from Abraham? Voluntarily, 10%. The Levites received 10% mandatorily. Is Jesus worthy as the eternal high priest to receive 10% from us? Is he worthy? That's all I'm asking. Thank you, bruv. Amen. So, with regards to New Testament giving, we recognize that we are not required to pay 10%. But we do have a responsibility to support the gospel. And we do see these commonalities with the principle of the 10% as it's taught in the New Testament in terms of supporting the core needs of the work of God. We see that it's according to principle. The apostle Paul made it clear that this is what God says to us as His children today. As a matter of principle, we are to support. We are to take responsibility for the ministry of the gospel. It's not a pragmatic. Well, if I feel like it, or if I don't, uh, if I reckon I can, uh, you know, I want to kind of save on a, a few things and commit that money. Or it's not. It's a matter of principle. We see also that it's something that's to be prioritized, not an afterthought. In the book of Proverbs, Proverbs it talks about giving the first fruit. And when people hear that, they think, so what does that mean? I should give some money from my gross or, or the net? And don't, it don't have to get so complicated. It's just simply, don't spend all your money on everything else and then think, okay, oh, what have I got left to give to God? but we're supposed to plan our giving. It's something that is supposed to be proportionate. So 10% isn't necessarily the figure. It can be, but there's a problem with saying 10% is the one, because for a lot of people, that's a limitation. That limits the amount that they could give. I mentioned that John Wesley, He was somebody who actually lived on 2% of his income. And he gave away 98%. Imagine if he was sticking to the law of the tithe. Well, I've given my 10th and that's all I need to worry about. So, it's to be proportionate. It may even be painful. That's where the the term sacrifice becomes associated with our giving, giving. In Hebrews 13 verse 16, it says do not neglect to do good and to share what you have for such sacrifices. Such sacrifices are pleasing to God. Our giving us to be persistent in season and out of season. Are giving us to be consistent. It's supposed to be regular. And one of the things that does it, it helps the ministry to be able to Plan. So fundamentally, Galatians 6 gives us this core message. Pay for what you get and you will get what you pay for. It doesn't say you will get what you pay for. Full stop. It's a common phrase today, yeah? You get what you pay for in life. No, Jesus paid it all. And the ministry is flowing regardless. Regardless. And this was the example of the Apostle Paul. And yet, we're to respond to God's abundant grace in this ministry ministry pouring into our lives by sharing, fellowshipping in the responsibility. And the reality is that as we do so, the Lord adds to increase. Some of you are still thinking okay, so how much should I be given? What proportion should I be given? Well, that's something that you're to purpose in your own heart. Really, the big question should be how much should we keep? If it's all God's, how much of it should we keep to ourselves? I remember hearing the story of A pastor was saying like, you know, talking to another pastor, I really don't know, I have this dilemma. When we receive the offering a week time, I I really don't know how much that I'm supposed to give to God and how much I'm supposed to keep to, to, to meet my needs. So the other pastor said to him, really? I don't have that problem. All I do is I take the money and I throw it up to God. And I said, God, take whatever you want. <laughs> and whatever drops to the floor, <laughs> I know that's mine. <laughs> the question should be, how much should we keep? When we consider our lifestyle when we consider our needs, we consider the fact that giving to the work of God is a privilege that promotes God's work in us. Listen, Philippians 4. Familiar with this phrase, I'm familiar with the the, the statement. My God shall supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory. Yeah, think about the context. I'm not even going to go into that right now. But verse 17, Paul says this when he speaks to the Philippians. He said, it's not that I seek a gift from you, but I seek fruit Mature Christian lives bearing fruit. And so to end, I say this. God doesn't need your money. But he does want your heart. And where our treasure is, our hearts will be also. And so, the challenge for us is to prayerfully consider how are we taking up our responsibility to support the work of the gospel. Let me enlighten you on some facts concerning our own circumstance here at South London. Our annual income from giving is a little less than, it's 38,000 pounds on average, it has been for the last few years. So let's round it up to be generous, 40,000 pounds. Yeah? For a 100 people, an annual income of £40,000 means that on average, each person of that 100 people would be given less each week than most people spend on coffee. Most people spend on Starbucks and Costa, running to and from work. Evidently, there are some who do give and there are those who don't. That's the reality of the picture. That seven pound odd a week would equate to five percent of somebody working minimum wage, not even a tenth of somebody working Minimum wage on the lower threshold, £5 an hour, which is minimum wage for 18 to 20-year-olds. It will be less than 5%. Now, that's the reality of the picture. Do I say that to guilt trip you? No. But by God's grace, it actually motivates us to recognise that we have an opportunity to participate in the work of God in a committed fashion, in a way that will see the gospel furthered. Amen. I um, wonder if I can ask the guys to come up as I pray. Lord, we do thank you for the privilege of having the opportunity to partner with you, to co-labor with you. We see, Lord, that this is what you have called us to. And we thank you, Lord, because you are such a gracious God in allowing us this opportunity. And Lord, we appreciate that The issue of money, especially in our culture, where people don't even like to talk about their salary and how much they earn and so on, Lord, is such that it can be an inconvenient conversation. But Lord, you've never shied away from dealing with uncomfortable or inconvenient issues when it comes to the lives of your children. And we realize, Lord, that it is for our benefit that you have us reflect on the truth of your word in this way. Because there are many of us, Lord, we're slaves. We're slaves, Lord, to money. Lord, we've, we're slaves to hurts that have been inflicted upon us by those who are greedy for money in your name. And your desire is that we be balanced, mature, healthy individuals who are not controlled by by money, but control money for your glory. And so, Lord, I do pray that you'd have each one of us just reflect on our own lifestyles and the way in which our use of money reflects our value of your gospel. We bless you, Lord, because we're not under a curse if we give 10%. We bless you, Lord, because Jesus took the curse for us. Jesus paid it all. Thank you, Lord. And our desire and our prayer is, Lord, that the work of the ministry would be blessed, that the fervorance of the gospel would be enabled, it would be resourced, and that many, Lord, would be strengthened through the ministry of your word, that many would be saved, Lord, through the ministry of your word. We bless your name today. Amen to learn so I'm listening. I'll be where I fit in but I'm yeah, no I'm Yeah, ring. Yeah. I'd yeah. have to learn so I'm listening.